elegant weapon for a more civilized age. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to an elegant weapon episode 342. My name is Jay, J.M. Clark, Jay the Jedi Ross, Ross Jedi Jay, and as always, it's so wonderful to have all you beautiful babies back here with me in the L5J studios. This week's guest is a long time coming. We've been chasing each other's tails for quite a while. We finally made our schedules fit as I journeyed out to Ajax, Ontario, to our good friend Mr. Dave Bishop's house. Grand thanks to Mr. Dave Bishop and family for his grand hospitality. That's where uh, this week's guest and I met up. We drank Coronas and we made a podcast. Uh, I did that, in fact, with Mr. Fred Kennedy. You may know him as Fearless Fred, Toronto TV and radio personality. But this conversation is with comic book writer Mr. Fred Kennedy. That's right, of Two Ton and The Fourth Planet. Oh, The Fourth Planet, such a beautiful book. We talk a little bit about that and something new. A grand announcement for you this week on An Elegant Weapon. That's right. Mr. Fred Kennedy and I, we talk about his brand new project, Warpath, coming to you from Source Point Press. That's right, kid. Source Point Press, ever expanding northward. Uh, Fred joins a fantastic lineup of Canadian content at Source Point Press, including Devin Wong, the writer of Wretched Things, uh, Dave Bishop, uh, who we owe grand thanks for his hospitality to, of uh, Morte, as well as Sean Daly, Toronto artist of Ogre. So much good stuff. Uh, he's going to tell you all about it, as well as his journey from Edmonton to Toronto. Uh, we talk a little Star Wars. We talk a lot of comic books. Uh, and we have a grand old time. That's three grands, I think, in this intro entirely for you, which makes it quite grand. Uh, anyways, kids, I'm so excited to finally be able to bring you my conversation about his new book, Warpath, from Source Point Press, Mr. Fred Kennedy. pretty perfect right there kids years in the making yeah 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 years in the making so let me lay down my fred kennedy experience okay. from the beginning <laughs> so uh what year do you move from edmonton to toronto 2009 2009 10 right. years ago right so during that time i'm working out in mississauga but i'm on contract in toronto so i'm listening to the edge as i do every day one or two point one CFN one. Yeah. So uh, I'm listening every day as I do. Dean Blundell show, of course. Uh, spending our mornings with Dean. Yes. And I'm hanging out in Toronto every day, which is kind of weird because normally I'm out in the suburbs. And this new character appears on the edge, Mr. Fearless Fred Kennedy. Yeah. So you come into my life at a weird time. Okay. And I'm like, oh, now they're shaking the edge up, right? So there's this brand new guy from Edmonton, and he seems really interesting. Because he's not your typical radio guy. It's a new voice 
a new style of radio voice to kind of get used to. Yeah. And he's got some geek in him. Not everybody was a big fan. Just want to let you want right to make on. that clear. Not well, everybody was, was a big fan. It was an fan. interesting <laughs> adjustment. I mean, I liked you right off the bat because you were, you know, you're feeding us some geek stuff. I could kind of get the vibe off you. And I was like, you know, it seems to kind of be into some certain stuff that's kind of cool, right? But still, a change nonetheless. So I meet a new girl who I've been with for nine years or so now. And I have a son. So my son's eight years old. Just shortly after that, Mr. Fearless Fred Kennedy starts talking. He's got a boy coming on the air. <laughs> so we had these strange, like, kind of uh, things happening. As you move to a new city, I'm going into a new life. We both got kids. I'm kind of listening to your journey as mine's going along. So I start an elegant weapon, and I go to the shows, and uh, I kind of start interviewing people uh, like Mr. Dave Bishop and Sean Daly and people kind of I'm getting to know. Great and people, by the way. Wonderful people. <laughs> so then I see you at a show. And I knew your face, of course, from Cartoon Network and such, right? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so he's, he's, he wants to be a comic guy, does he, right? I have no idea of your history. <laughs> I don't know where you came from, what you're about or anything. And I'm like, okay, so he's a comic guy. So... Which I find interesting because of the fact that you are, you know, you're known in Toronto, you're on TV, you're on the radio, yet you're also down in the trenches in Artist Alley trying to schlub your book just yes. like anybody else. Regular Artist Alley. I want to yes. make that clear. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Right? So I'm like, okay, my first thought is, okay, respect. This guy's out here working it. You're you're not, there's no flashy signs. There's, you're not trying to use your, you know, celebrity to, like, sell your, you just want to be known as this, you know, you're writing comic books legit. and stuff. Totally Because everyone has that, they have that idea that that's what you're going to do. But I never did that in my radio career. So I didn't want to do that in comic books either. I wanted right. to come up with everybody, you know? Yeah. Like, pay your dues. Yeah, which was obvious. Yes. So I'm, I'm kind of thinking, okay, should I interview Fred? Now, here's what kept me in the beginning from interviewing oh, you God. is I was always very staunch about my podcast being an indie podcast. I, I, I wanted to celebrate the indie creators. It was kind of a punk rock idea. And what it was was I didn't want in any way for it to look like I only wanted to talk to you. Because of your celebrity, because I saw a lot of that going on. <laughs> there is no real celebrity, but you know what I mean. Still, I know people what you know mean. you instantly from the edge, yeah. or from the Cartoon Network, and they're going to talk to you about that. And I saw with my own eyes people interviewing you, you having to get through that conversation to get to the point where you could talk about your comic. Yeah, but I don't mind if they buy the comic after. I'll right, do that then because right. it's a sale. Well, this was a personal thing. This was just for me. I didn't want to be that guy who wanted to talk to Fred because he was fearless Fred. Well, I've been pestering right? you to come on here. Which got to the point where okay. you called me out online <laughs> and I was like, you know what? That was really cool because it made me feel like uh, I was part of the community. Yeah. You know, it made me real feel like part of something and I was like, Okay, now now we're rolling. Now we can have an actual talk. Yes. And then I got to know Shane and Ricky over the years and realized we're all big mutual friends. And the more the more stories I hear from Shane, the more I realize Fred's just a regular fucking dude. Yeah. And what know? I love about Shane is that Shane has called me on things before, and that's why you can tell who your real friends are. Oh, Shane will call anybody. Oh, on I love I love yeah. Shane. Like yeah. he's my number one pick. Like if yeah. I had a if I knew a woman who was single, Shane's my go-to guy. He's my he's my <laughs> yeah. leading bachelor. Yeah, absolutely. Are my boys behaving? Okay, good. Just making sure. There's little Kennedys running around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Causing tears, right? So how was that for you when you first got to Toronto and wanted to get your... Because you were making comics before you came to Toronto. Yeah. we. The thing was is the only comics that I had made had been like really like short things. I did the 24-hour comic challenge a few times. 
the 12-hour comic challenge a few times, but I'd never done, like, a book book. And when I got to Toronto and I was on the edge, uh, my profile photo, I was wearing a Blue Lantern shirt. And so I love the Blue Lanterns, like the the, the Lanterns of Hope, thinking the best in the world. Because that's who I am as a guy, as cynical as I can be, like I legitimately believe. And I'm a pretty hopeful guy. Uh, and it was Adam Gorham had messaged me, and he'd just done his first book, The Vampire Conspiracies. And he had messaged me being like, hey, I've got the, I know you like comics. I've got this comic book. If you wanted to promote it or talk about it, that'd be really cool. And then I had had a comic idea that I wanted to work on. And so I messaged him back being like, I got a better idea. Let's do a comic. And then that was right. how I started working with Adam, which was like really serendipitous. And I started working with a guy. How'd you even meet Adam, though? Online, he emailed me. Like, that's literally oh, he how just it, out of the he blue. just out of the blue emailed okay. me, asked me if I would promote uh, the vampire conspiracies. Uh, and then I got back to him and I had an idea that I wanted to do for a book. And I was messaging with this guy, Andre Fernandez, as well. And we did a book called Helos. And so we did Helos and this book, Teuton, the same show. And yeah, and then it just like everything kind of like snowballed from there. Right. And there's what you're talking about with like, there was a lot of there's this idea of if I'm doing anything in comics, it's got to be I'm I'm leveraging, you know, I'm leveraging who I am with my day job to get ahead. And I hate people that do that. Right. So I didn't do that. And the biggest thing was having to, like, ensure people knew that I wasn't doing that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. There yeah. are opportunities that come along right. uh, because of the day job. I'm not going to lie. There are. Uh, but I am not very opportunistic with that. In fact, I think I'm really bad at self-promoting in general. So I think that that's my right. biggest problem. And the reason I'm bad at self-promoting is because I have this idea that people have this perception of me being this like douchey, oh, showbiz guy. And that it's like, it can't be easy. Man. It's, it yeah. can be, it can be frustrating because you realize very quickly that people have an idea of who you are. And then once they've got that idea, they're looking for evidence to support their hypothesis about you. And, yeah, I say st some stupid things every now and again. And then that's all that they hear is those stupid things. But I think all of us say stupid things. We're all like a right. tableau with a bunch of stuff going on. So, yeah, it was frustrating. Yeah. It was taxing. But after going through that and getting to know you and people who have gotten to know you, you're not just a regular guy. No. You're like a super regular uh, yeah, fucking dude. You know, like I'm not wearing <laughs> Other sweatpants. Other than the drive. Which is unusual. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So th th there's because like, you came here alone, right? Like you met your wife here. No, no. Oh, she came with you. Or? We had been dating for a few years before I came here. And then uh, she was looking for a change and I was looking for a change. We were actually looking at moving to New Zealand. What? <laughs> yeah, I was in talks with a radio station in New Zealand and uh, I'd given up on ever coming to Toronto because I'd tried to get into Toronto so many times. I had sent I can tell you for certain I sent more than 70 demos to the edge wow. and I didn't get a single reply from one of them and that was that started in 2004 and I had, would apply two or three times a month and then I just stopped it around the fall of 2008 I stopped applying so I didn't get any response from any of it at wow. all and then there was a shift in management in the building, and uh, it, it, the, sh the management shift happened in, like, February, 
And right around that time, there's the Canadian Broadcasting Awards, and there's this award called the Steve Young Award. And the Steve Young Award, now it's called the Alan Waters Steve Young Award or something like that. I don't remember. But it's for the, the best under 30 broadcaster in Canada. And you have to be somebody who is involved in community projects. And I did a lot of work with the Edmonton Food Bank. And you also have to be involved in helping groom the next generation of announcers. And I have a, an open-door policy with, uh, in radio, you send out an air check, like a demo, an air check, or whatever. And if anybody sends me an air check, I always listen to it, and I always critique it, and I get back to them. Because I can remember getting no help and no support. And I never wanted to be what I despised. And so I hate that. I'm too cool for school. Never get back to anybody thing. So I always listen to demos. And so when this award nomination came up, uh, I had like letters of references from multiple broadcasting schools. All of them saying like every one of our students who sent him tape has gotten feedback, blah, 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 blah. Good guy. So I got the I got this national award. And then I came to Toronto and it was like, I got the award. I found it. I got the award on the Tuesday. And then on the Wednesday we had a staff meeting and, uh, I like left the staff room after everyone. Hey, congratulations on your award. And my <laughs> cell phone rings and it's my old boss that I worked for in Winnipeg, this guy, Christian Hall, who actually gave me like multiple long boxes filled with comics. I had like the entire first run of ROM from this oh, guy. Nice. True story. <laughs> um, he said, he goes, uh, uh, Ross Winters wants your phone number. And I'm like, who's Ross Winters? He's like, he's the national talent coordinator for Chorus Entertainment. Like, you should know who he is. <laughs> and I went, I, I, don't, I don't know, but okay, he can have my phone number. So Tuesday, I get the award. Wednesday, this guy, Ross, calls me and is like, hey, I'm Ross Winters. Like, voice like butter. Like, just like old school radio voice. Right, just... Right. He's the best. I still I still reach out to him for inf information and feedback and help on things. And he's like, we'd like to bring you to Toronto to come work at The Edge. How would you like to do that? And I'm like, oh, well, I'm doing afternoons, man. I don't want to go to Toronto and have to do evenings and all that stuff. He's like, yeah. no, we want to bring you in to do afternoons. And that does not happen. Right. You don't go from, like, afternoons in Edmonton to afternoons in Toronto. That is, like, you're like the a quarterback for a farm team in the CFL and then the Patriots are like hey Brady's so, retiring let's bring you in buddy what do you think it was about you i'm i'm unique like, you are unique I, i'm unique yeah. i'm unique yeah. and i have a very different sound uh very off the cuff and that's what they wanted at the station and so when they hired me i like they offered the job and i was just like yeah i'll, I'll go I'm, right, I'm right. out. I'm out. It's so weird of the timing too, because they happened to hire, and I bet you this didn't go a lot into the thought, but they, yes, you're unique and a little quirky to the usual, but comic book culture is about to explode. Oh yeah, I don't. Those so are, the coincidence of them bringing totally. in a geek to do this at a time when geek culture is about to take over. What's funny? It's pretty crazy. The shop that I always went to in Edmonton. Uh, the Happy Harbor, which won uh, like comic book store of the year uh, at the Schuster's for years, and also was nominated six years in a row at the Eisner's for best comic book store in the Jeez. world. The owner Jay, who just sold the shop, he is from Toronto, and he told me he's like, "Oh, you shouldn't go. I don't think you should go to Toronto." 
He goes, your, your comic book stuff is just starting to catch on here. You're getting in with all the artists. You shouldn't really go. And and then I was like, no, Jay, I got to go. I got to follow my dream. I'm sorry, that's mad. And then, yeah. and now I can, and then I came here. Yeah, yeah, right yeah, when yeah. the comic book thing exploded. Yeah, it was it's wild. It's crazy. I mean, especially into, it's nuts to hear him advise that when here, and I talk about this a lot on the show with other artists, uh, uh, it's it's nuts how spoiled we are here. Oh, in dude. Southern Ontario, to live in this culture of of uh, this artistic culture of schools, of education, of actual workers, and and top tier artists, and galleries, and museums, it's nowhere in the world is there a richer place for a comic book creator to grow than here. There's not. There, you know, it's it's wild when you look at like how many huge creators are in Toronto within right an now. hour of us. Yes. Or so, or you within know an I mean? hour. Yeah, within oh an hour, hour and a half. It's gone. So. Yeah, it's out of control. Yeah, like the the Raid Studio in particular. Like, there's cities that don't have as much talent <laughs> as the Raid Studio has a, in it. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then the thing is the people that founded the Raid, like like Chip Zdarsky, who by the way is from Stony Plain, just said of everything. So just, uh, <laughs> prayer connection right there, Chip Zdarsky, just so everybody knows. Uh, Kagan McLeod as well. Uh, like all those creators that aren't even affiliated with it anymore, that have that are just in the community. Yeah. Like it's just, it's everywhere. It's it's insanity. I think it's because of the uh, opportunities. I yeah. think it's because of Sheridan College. Yep. It's because of the museums. It's because of the fact that, and I think it might even have a little bit to do with New York being the mecca for years and Marvel and DC being there. Yeah. And we're kind of up the street in a weird way. Whenever you know? I talk to like uh, any editors from the big two, like they've said that they love working with Canadian talent because uh, healthcare. Right. Uh, and I know that that seems really weird, but it's true. When you think about it, if you're a freelancer in the States, you get sick. What do you do? You got no, but and you don't have insurance. Like yeah. your partner doesn't have insurance. You're, you're, yeah. you're not on your parents' insurance. Like you're screwed, man. Yeah. That's thousands of dollars gone in oh, Canada. Yeah. Uh, we have healthcare. You know, you get, you get sick, you go to the doctor, yeah. you go to the emergency room and then it's done. And is it perfect? No, it's not perfect, but it could be a lot worse. It's better than bankrupting yes. your entire life. Like just down at Philly, Bob Camp of yeah. Ren and Stimpy is there. And at the hotel, there was some weirdly lit steps and he actually tripped and he fell onto these steps and he busted up his hand and stuff. He couldn't draw for a week. And that's, you know... That that's, sets you back. That's set him back huge, right? Yeah. Like, it's though just the weekend alone that he was supposed to be at the show making money doing art, and he couldn't draw at the show. Ridiculous. And, you know, like, that's not covered in any way, right? No, like, and it's a weird thing that you yeah. don't think about because... We're so used to having healthcare. Like, imagine without it. And we're not, I don't, we don't need to get super political about it or anything. No, I mean, but yeah. I'm just saying it's a legitimate it's like totally, thing. Yeah. Like, it's a very practical thing that you don't think about until it's gone. Right, right. So we come to Toronto. We're making some comics. Um, along comes a new era of Canadian comic book stuff, I guess you could say. I, I think I know where you're going. A little, a little company come, called Chapter House comes along. Yeah. Now, I'm going to fully admit right here, I was even talking to you earlier, and I don't mind saying this. Last episode, I had a, a few uh, Ill, Ill words, uh, not the most positive words to speak of the organization of Chapter House, but it's hard for me because... I try to be positive on this show. I don't want to be a shit talker or negative. Never have been. That's never been our mantra. I, 
the reason I will talk about Chapter House is because I do get a little bothered by the fact that a lot of people, friends of mine, were affected slightly negative through this whole endeavor. Yeah. And a lot of comics that I could be reading do not exist. Mm-hmm. And a lot of tales that could have been told never came through. Yeah. Without without getting deep into what's gone on and why Chapter House isn't kind of what it was promised to be, you do take your book, a beautiful book. The Fourth Planet? A, a gorgeous book yeah. called The Fourth Planet. Right up my alley. I fucking love that sci-fi painted <laughs> yeah. shit, dude. I fucking love it. Miko's amazing. Yeah. So uh, so you do end up in the chapter house fold at a time when they've got a plethora of amazing talent yes. ready to explode. That was a very... It was frustrating being on the inside. But here's the thing. I'm not familiar with what's going on in the financial meetings. I'm not familiar with any of the administrative stuff. All I know is my perspective on things. And I was at a show, and Lou had just made the announcement. that Jason Lou, by the way, uh, had just made the announcement that Chapter House was picking up the Pitiful Human Lizard. And so PHL and the Fourth Planet started at the same time in the same way. Uh, he did a Kickstarter for it. I just was publishing a page a week. Right. And then for, of The Fourth Planet, it's a sci-fi story. I don't know if anybody's read it, listening right Please now. Please do. It's so Very awesome. cool story yeah. that I really liked because uh, it was really strongly influenced by two things. Uh, when the Spanish came to the New World and encountered uh, the Aztecs and okay. all the cultures that were here. All right. That was one part, and it was like that, that interesting juxtaposition of new technology and old and so it was also inspired by in there was a time in history on earth when there were three dominant species that were like hominids quasi hominids and they they were all vying for supremacy and there was one that was very big and strong there was one that was tall and fast and there was one that was just like a jack of all trades. And in the end, in terms of like human evolution, according to leading scientific theories, this jack of all trades species won out and turned into us. And so I thought, wouldn't it be cool to have a planet where there are three alien races, each with their own particularly evolved specialization to live in a particular environment? And that was the, and when you read right. the book, that is the, the planet that they're on. And so I started the story like this ship of human slaves because at this point humanity has been conquered. They're a slave race. And these guys were in a ship that revolted. They crash on this alien planet. And there's these three warring alien races that have just discovered gunpowder. And so these humans, though vastly outnumbered, have this incredible technology that really puts them in a position where uh, they can be the dominant species on this planet. And the thing about humans and human psychology is that no matter what happens, we don't all get along. Right. Like, we've always got different ideas. And so there was these, there's the slave laborer class of humans that were created in breeding camps, bred for menial labor. Right. And then there were also, like, the space marines. They were bred to be warriors, to be cannon fodder. And so you've got these ideas of them saying, well, they've... They have attacked us. We do not tolerate that. We put them in their place. That's how the world works. That's right. what we we're made to do. And so some of them are like, no, do you not realize that we're becoming what we've just run away from? And so I, th- I really liked that 
that yeah. idea. Yeah. And uh, Miko Maciejic, uh, fantastic artist. We tabled next to him at a show, and I was just talking about it in passing. He's like, "Can I? Can I?" Can I do that? And then I was like, I think you're too good for this, Miko. I don't think this is a bit beneath you. And then he goes, he's like, he goes, no, I really want to. And I'm like, okay. And so I put it a search for artists. And I did. I, I had a search and I told him, like, I've already called on some artists and everyone's putting a submission page in. You got to put one in too in order to get it. And um, I gave a list of notes about the world. And then I gave a sample script of a page. And the script was really minimal and the script was really minimal because I didn't want to have to handhold right. with this story. Right. The thing that, the, the biggest thing I'd done before this was Teuton, which was like a four year right. project with, with Adam Gorham, who's incredible. And I wanted somebody like Adam, cause Adam brings something to the table. He yeah. doesn't just be like, Oh, what do you, what exactly do you want? It's like, Adam has artistic instincts. Oh, he brings something extra. Yes, and so sure. you can yeah. trust him yeah. with something. Yeah. That's what I wanted again. Um, and so everybody, there were some artists did a good job. Some did better than others. Uh, Eric Irwin uh, did a fantastic job with his submission. And the frustrating thing about it was, is Eric Irwin was the second, like he would, if it wasn't Miko, it would have been Eric Irwin that I would have done it with. Another great Toronto artist, by the way. Um, and the thing was, Eric gave me exactly what I asked for. Exactly what I put on the page. That's what Eric did. Miko gave me something that was different than what yeah. was on the page. And the panels that weren't supposed to be the biggest were the biggest. The panels that were supposed to be small were huge. And and he just Yeah. But it's the kind of art yeah. that when you look at the art, you know you see right in front of your face an equal balance between artist and writer. Yes. Because you look at the art and you're like, there's no way any writer described no. this, right? And Like, and he gave you a, a very cool, a very thorough, precise idea. Yes. But you obviously took this to Here's, a certain level that you couldn't just verbally describe or write, you know? Thing, yeah, yeah, like when you're writing panels and you're writing pages, you're writing a story and... There's, you're writing plot and then ideas and emotions and, and draw the eye here. And then what Mika did was there was emotion and passion and this otherworldly vibe on the page. And then I was like, that yeah. is it. That is what I want. <laughs> yeah, and it yeah. was like, it was, and it was frustrating and I felt bad. And I still actually, when I see Eric, I do feel bad about this because Eric gave me what I asked for. But it wasn't what I needed. Do you right. know what I mean? Oh, yeah, and totally. So, and yeah. I think that is, to me, that is the collaborative nature of comics is just two people working yeah. together. Like, yeah. they've got to bring something to the table because if they're just drawing your words, they're not going to get that satisfaction. And it also depends what's trying to be serviced. Yes. Whether the book, the story, or the artist. Because I, you know, with SourcePoint even, I see a lot of pitches come through. And occasionally, I'll get, say, a writer will pitch something. And it'll be amazing. It'll be a great story. He's already gone ahead and made that comic book with a certain artist who may be kind of okay. Yeah. So then what do you do? They have yep. this book. This book is ready. It's a really super cool idea you're into, but you don't dig the art, say, too much. Yep. How do you go to a guy and say, look, I really dig this, but I'm not digging so much. You know, the art doesn't <laughs> complement the story. That's why it can be very hard to like have to be open and biased with someone you're working with. Totally. Here, right? And and yeah. with what Miko did was just gorgeous. Yeah. And so we'd had 
we did the we did it so we released all the pages as squares. All the pages were done and they were released on we posted things on social media and on Instagram and stuff and then the it looked good. It looked beautiful. And then we printed these little square books. Yeah. The original I got one. Fourth Planet is I got one. These <laughs> little squares. And it looked like little it looked like these little like nine inch like LP things. Yeah, they were so yeah. cool. Yeah. And so we uh we had the book. We were super stoked. And then we had just published the second book. Right. So we've been doing it for a year. We've been doing Fourth Planet for about a year. And then Jason Liu walked by and he's like, What's your plans with this? It's like, I don't know. I'm I'm liking doing just this independent. It's like it's slow, but it's good. Like we right. put out two books a year. So we would have like these 32, 33 page books that we bring to each show. And the thing was is it was expensive. It was like sure. a $15 book because yeah. it was a quality book. Oh, yeah. it was it was yeah. like thick paper stock. Yeah. I loved the paper stock. We were with Nico. <laughs> that's the thing. Nico is like it was the paper stock is too thin on this print. It needs to be thicker. I love Miko to death. And he is the artist's artist. Is he in Toronto? Yeah, he no, he's oh, yeah. in Poland now. Oh, Poland. He moved back to Poland. And um he uh he uh, he was so great. And we were sitting at the table and tabling with Miko was so different than tabling with Adam because Miko's like he's got a bottle of wine with him at the table <laughs> underneath the table. And we were n- tabling next to Mike Ruth. Right. And yeah. it's like Miko is such an <clears throat> artist that he really like he really like nurtured my gonzo side like right. my gonzo journalism aspects and so we would Helped have you like, to let loose a little yes let it go yeah like and so i was yeah. so focused on making it in comics those that that year and a half and where was like, go no, and make yeah, the comic. Let make the art, <laughs> art. and he's just and and is ah like yeah. he's so great and that year and a half of doing the fourth planet is an indie book where it we had we were beholden to no one yeah we were we were drinking wine under the table at the shows. <laughs> we had a vape that we would smoke under the table nice. on the show floor. We were we were a mess, yeah. but it was great. And so <laughs> Lou comes up and we're like already working on the third book. And we got the second book on the table, and he's like, "What's your plans with this?" And we're having fun, and then he's like, "Cause I just like." PHL, we're we're going with Chapter House, and I'm like, what is this Chapter House? I mean, they got that big display, and they're doing Captain Canuck, but what else are they doing? He's like, well, they got plans. They want to work with indie creators that are Canadian, and I'm like, that's awesome. And yeah. here's the thing, and I and I get very frustrated with the. There's a lot of slag talk that goes around about Chapter House, and I it it frustrates me because I feel that a lot of things that happened there happened with nothing but the best of intention. Right. Um, and and I really I, I believe be- that I do. I believe, I believe it. that I, even Fatty, yeah. uh, the guy who he acquired the rights of Captain Canuck. Yeah. And he was the one who wanted to rebrand it, reboot it, and bring it to the people. And which they did. And they did. And Calman's yeah. designs were so good. Like yeah. that. I don't care. Captain Canuck looks amazing. <laughs> he looks so yeah. good. Calman crushed it on that. And they had they ended up getting a few indie creators on board right and so they had uh rossi gifford spirit leaves. spirit leaves yeah, yeah incredible book yeah they had phl and they had the mm-hmm. fourth planet and there was this 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 you never know if you're being fed lip service but when the fourth planet came out it was selling like gangbusters it sold it sold just shy of four thousand copies nice and they sold tons in the United Kingdom, which makes sense really? because 
it's very European sci-fi. It's true. And having grown yeah. up in Europe, the sci-fi you watch in Europe is different than what you get here. Yeah. And the primary influence for me from a- from Way a, more cerebral. Yes, from a yeah. pop culture standpoint, Ulysses 31, Yeah. which is a cartoon that I loved growing up in Miko, being mm-hmm. Polish, also loved this cartoon. Right. And if you like look at the art- on the fourth planet and then watch the opening credits of Ulysses 31 and you'll see it. Yeah, yeah. You'll yeah, see it yeah. like immediately. And um it's like for it's a sci-fi version of Ulysses the Odyssey and the Iliad is oh, what yeah. it is. Like yeah. and so it's this guy Ulysses trying to get back to his planet and the <laughs> gods are in space and it's like it's so ridiculous but I loved it as a kid. Yeah. And he's got a laser sword and long yeah. hair and he's like space yeah. Jesus with a laser sword. It's amazing. Um <laughs> But so you had Spirit Leaves, PHL, and the Fourth Planet making gangbusters. And I was thinking, like, what's great is I think Chapter House started out as this company that wanted to bring back Captain Canuck and make him huge. And they were doing that. Right. But they had this opportunity to uh, push all these indie Canadian comic creators. And it was like... They were on the verge of something like a Canadian image, something huge. Yes, yes, and something then, we needed for a long totally, time around here. Yeah. Something that was starved for. And then, yeah, I don't know what happened. I don't know. Okay, <laughs> I need to make that clear. No I, one seems to really. Yeah, know. I don't know. <laughs> but the spring show, we've got Fourth Planet, Spirit Leaves, and and PHL selling bananas. Right. And the next show, there's I'm on the show floor, okay? Yeah. And all of a sudden, people are walking up to me. Did you hear about that huge chapter house announcement? I'm like, no, but I'm mildly interested because I have a financial stake <laughs> yeah. in this company. What's going on? And they're like, they launched the chapter verse and they're bringing these characters back. And Jay Baruchel yeah, joins like, up. Jay Baruchel yeah. joins up. And there's new money in the company. And then there's like Jim Zub is writing something, Andrew Wheeler's writing something. Right. Uh, like Ray Fox is working on something. Sue Lee is coming in, and I love Sue right. Lee. Her art is, un- if you haven't looked at that yeah. Charlie's Angels book, like, oh my God, she's so talented. She's so great. Uh, and a great human being, by the way, who kickboxes, so she'd beat you up too. Okay. Um, uh, Forewarned. They, yes, you're warned. <laughs> They've got all these books, and I'm like, what? What? Yeah. <laughs> Where's yeah. all? What's happening? Yeah, yeah. Like I thought, I thought that there was about to be all these indie Canadian creators putting out all these books because I thought like Ricky Lima had just done Happily Ever After, and there was talks about him bringing that onto the brand. And then, yeah, I don't know, but that is when the delays started coming with the books, and I don't want to anyone to think I'm crapping on anyone because I literally right. I don't know all I can tell you is what I experienced yeah and then we were supposed to have the trade for the fourth planet come out and there was delays with that and then there were lettering issues with the fifth issue of the fourth planet and then we Miko and I Miko had moved back to Poland and we were working on the f- the second volume of the books there's supposed to be three volumes and it was just we we had talked with with our editor there and he had said that they weren't going to do issues anymore. They just want to do the trades. And I was All like, right. you know what, man? That's actually, you can look at it two ways. You can look at it like, that's frustrating because then we want to have like a continuous presence. But the thing was, 
is we were going to put out the plan was to put out a trade a year. Right. Okay. Right, yeah. Which freed Plenty us time, up, yeah. which freed us up, to yeah. be honest. Like we could fudge with the page count. We could add a page here, take a page there. We didn't have to be beholden to that 22 page format anymore. Right. So we saw the positives and then just things just didn't happen. Yeah. Aside from anything other than that, I can't weigh in on it. I just feel like, without weighing in, because I obviously have no idea what I'm talking about, I'm just going from the perspective who's of someone who's interviewed a lot of these people and as part of the community hers, has heard what I've heard. And I think it was a, a very grand idea. And as you say, Great idea. I think it was all good intentions. I yes. don't think anybody was out to screw anybody or not get anything done. I just think there may have been a certain lack of comic book industry understanding that entirely possible you know kind of led to getting a little big for their britches maybe beforehand you know do you remember a and e's biography the tv show yeah there's a great episode yeah. about dave thomas from wendy's oh, yeah. uh, and i'm gonna tie this all in trust me it makes sure, sense yeah dave thomas of wendy's uh wendy's like do you remember in the 1980s there was that one really famous wendy's commercial where they're like where's the beef yeah. That was the big, and it became this like cultural phenomenon. That commercial became so huge that there was this massive demand for Wendy's because Wendy's wasn't was a really monstrous. big burger chain. Yeah. There was a lot of them, but they weren't on like the the Burger King, McDonald's level. And right. so, based on the hype from that commercial, they expanded really quickly. They got really popular really fast, and all of a sudden they were too big, and the company almost went bankrupt. Yeah, and it's I feel like Chapter House had the same thing. Is Kinda, that yeah. all of a sudden they had. A few really big books like uh, Life, Death, and Sorcery on that list. Oh Spiritly my God, uh, Danny Zabel. He's come on, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, his he's he's yeah. he's so clean. Is that yeah. and by the way, Life, Death, and Love, Death, and Sorcery is is Life, Death, and Sorcery is amazing. Yeah, he's that book is incredible. Um, it's got such a punk rock aesthetic. It's just fantastic. Yeah, it's got the feels too. Yes, man. it yeah. does. Yeah, yeah. he. Yeah, he dealt with some very heavy stuff in that book, yeah. and he did it perfectly. He's good with balance between things oh, like that. You know? And he's just a great human yeah. being. Oh, Danny's awesome. Um, yeah. So you've got all these great Canadian books that are doing well, and then there's like a buzz. Because it felt like for about a year, everyone in Canada was talking about chapter They house. were, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then yeah. all of a sudden, it just like, we're here, we're launching 47,000 books, <laughs> and we're the best. And it's like, I remember being like, I hope that this works. I really do. Right. But yeah, and and I I I don't think it did. You know, well, I don't want to get sued, but I don't think it did. No, I, I don't sued? think I it wanna, did I entirely. I, I mean, they're still kind of doing their thing. They're still kind of, you know, Captain Canuck's pushing along. And like I respect Captain Canuck for what it is in a way. I don't want this to sound really bad, but you will not badmouth Captain Canuck. I'm not badmouthing Captain Canuck, but it's Captain Canuck. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a hero who came out of a novelty type idea of of you know superheroes. You know, it, Ed Brisson yeah. wants to. What he's always said his dream is to like be the writer on Captain. That Canuck. would be cool. Like, and he's like you know? he, he had all these plans, and I remember we were sharing a hotel room at one show, and he was he was quite gunned. And was explaining why Captain Canuck is so great, and growing <laughs> just, up in Oshawa, why he loved Captain right, Canuck, and right. and I remember being like, "You're speaking with such passion about it. I want, I want you to write it. I, I want you to do that. Feel it. I've tried to feel it. Maybe it's just simply the word Canuck that I can't get by. I don't know. Well, there's but other factors involved. The, you know, yeah. so. So, you know, they're doing their thing, and I don't want to get, turn this into, like, a chapter house conversation, but just in terms as it, uh, you know, is, is, a, is a 
part of your growth and evolution as a comic yes. creator. That moves on. So we get to the point where a lot of people have since forth moved on from Chapter House. Yeah. Right? Some people made a big public <clears throat> deal about it. And I don't think that's not my ba- that's not my brand. That's not what I do. Sure. And unnecessary. Yeah. Unnecessary. It's, it's like it's cool. Yeah. There's a there's a lot of flag waving that can happen, and if you did that, that's cool. That's not me saying you shouldn't. Right. It's just like th- that's not the way I would handle because I don't know enough about what's going on. Right. Right. So I come from this weird perspective, and I come from where I'm never part of the Toronto comic book community. I had started podcasting in uh, 2011, and I had been going to conventions. And I had been collecting comics since I was a kid, but I never hung out with artists or got to know them or anything. That only came about because of the podcast, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm starting to get to know people, and that's around the time Chapter House is pumping up. And I'm getting to know other people, like the Dailies, like the Bishops, like the A.J.A. Hans, right? So that was when the whole thing hit where I started going out to Michigan then because for some reason the show took off first there, right? So I go to Michigan, and my very first year, in Motor City Comic Con, something super magical happens, and I meet a few individuals under the banner of Source Point Press. Yes, I meet. You know, actually, I didn't meet Travis that first year, but I meet Josh Werner, and I meet all the wonderful people from Michigan: Josh the Dan Doherty's, the J- the Jay Fosgets, all these incredibly talented, wonderful people, and I see what they're starting to do, and I I see this sense of community in in Michigan, like I didn't. I've never seen before because Toronto's is so big. Yeah. Like I've said, there's so many tiers and it's cool that you can go right to the top and that guys like Ken Lashley and Ty Templeton are accessible. You can get taught by Dave Ross, which is amazing. These opportunities aren't anywhere else, but it also leads to a certain, uh, level of, uh, I don't know what the word is. Clickiness, not even clickiness, but there's a certain standard. Toronto has certain standards that it's almost set for itself. Yeah, where Michigan had this very punk rock thing going on. Source Point from the beginning, when I first met those guys, it felt like a sub pop thing going on, right? Like this was so real, and they were pouring their absolute genuine hearts into this thing, and I was like, I. Fucking, this is great. I started interviewing these guys, made friends with these guys, started supporting SourcePoint for years. And of course, me being the big mouth that I am, I'm start. I'm telling them about people back in Toronto. I'm coming back to Toronto. I'm telling everybody about this crazy new thing called SourcePoint, right? My first time hearing about them was when Dave Bishop was doing Morte. Right. And I remember we were out for beers at my local uh mcguire's in ajax and i was like what are you working on right now and he started talking about this story about like zombies post-apocalyptic like clearing up the land and all that stuff and i'm like this is just like pieces for mom i love everything about this so good (laughs) pieces for mom by the way is an amazing like early 90s one-off book from image where these boys have their mom has been zombified and they go out and they find people and feed them to their mom awesome. and it's amazing it's such a great <laughs> yeah right. steve niles is a great book nice. great book yeah but yeah yeah, yeah that was yeah. the first hearing of source point that i yeah. ever got and then it felt like the next show they were there well i came back with a mission <laughs> after that first yeah. after that first year at motor city i came back with a mission i was like this is everything we need. This is what we need a Canadian version of. Like, the amount of indie talent we have here. And guys who would be huge in other cities, like you were saying earlier, it's harder to get noticed here because there's so much talent. 
we need that outfit who's finding those diamonds in the rough yeah. and really raising them above. So I came back here with a megaphone yelling source point, source point, source point, enough to the fact that it became quite a common joke for Ricky Lima to mock me about saying source point, source point, source point. But I really oh, believed in these people. I really believed what they were doing, and the product was there. Yeah. Like, the books that they had put out already were, you know, The Rot, David Hayes, right? Like, some amazing stuff coming out. And I was like, this needs to happen here. There this was, is the heart that needs to happen here. Because Sean Daly was like, was started doing Ogre with them. And then the thing was, is like, like, I did, I worked on Teuton with Adam Gorham for, like, right. four years, which was awesome because he's such a great talent to work with. And then we did the fourth planet for like just shy of three, and it, that was a that was a really frustrating that was a really frustrating finale for that book. Um, and then I've been working on pitches with a bunch of different people, and I actually worked on a pitch uh, with Sean Daly called Venom and Vengeance. Yeah. And it was for me. I heard about this. It, it was, sounded cool. It man. was a really <laughs> cool. The thing really was, cool. is it was an out there idea. The the premise is there was a cartoon back in the eighties called Travis. The, really liked the it. Littles. Yeah, yeah. yeah I remember he, the Littles. Yeah. yeah, the Littles. And it was like I had this idea of like, what if like the humanity was gone? Okay, humanity's gone, but the world that we created is still there. The buildings, the whatever you have it. And the world has now been inherited by like these animals that can that are magical. And they can talk, and it's not like the magic. The animals are big or anything. They can talk, and they can react, and they use spells and all this stuff. And they form their own little nations. Like there's the snake nation, and there's the sparrow nation, and there's the bear nation. And they've got all these little sprites, like these little fairy people <laughs> that are like the size of like a GI Joe guy that they get to go around and do all their dirty work. And so I like, and the idea like just kept sprawling and sprawling and sprawling, and then. Sean was like, that's so cool. Let's do that. <laughs> and so we were working on it and we were, we like got all these historical references for each different nation. And like the Asp nation was very Persian and the Eagle nation was very Roman. Right. And like th there was the Wolf nation that was like very like uh, Ming dynasty Chinese, you know? And so we built all these cool things and we created this unbelievable, I still think it's a really cool story. This out there idea, and we just pitched and pitched and pitched and pitched and pitched and pitched and pitched, and, pitched. and it came very close to landing with Shadowline, uh, but they were, they were just like, it's just he goes, can you sell this in a sentence? And I'm like, ah, uh, <laughs> it's a story about revenge. He goes, but your story about revenge doesn't have anything to do with what makes this world so unique. Unique, yeah. You got to sell me on that, and it's just like my pitching skills aren't there. Right. And so it was an out there idea. And at this point, Sean wasn't the most proven artist. He didn't have Ogre underneath him or anything. Yeah. And so it kind of got still stapling yes. his comic books together. Yeah, in his it got shelved. <laughs> and then uh, Ogre was coming out and I went to Sean at the show and I was like, so Source Point, why don't we just give Venom and Vengeance to Source Point? And he's like, goes, absolutely. So we went to <laughs> we went to Travis at Source Point and they were like and I it was Dave Bishop brought me over. Right. Uh, we went and we talked to Travis there and I told him on the idea and he's like, do you have any pages? I'm like, I've got them on my laptop. Okay. I can bring it right yeah. now. Yeah. I got it right here. I remember this moment. Yes. And I yeah. was like, here it is. Yeah. And he's like, oh, so great. Let's, yeah. let's do it. And Sean's like exploding right now. And he's so busy. He just, he wasn't able to give it the time that it needed. And so he had to, he had to back out. 
But in the time between him backing out and the contracts and stuff getting done up with SourcePoint, I'd working on this other comic with a guy named Kyle Charles, uh, who's out in Edmonton. Fantastic creator. He did Roche Limit with Image. Uh, he was working on Her Infernal Descent uh, with Aftershock. Um, and we did the story. And this is what's frustrating about, and this is what, to the credit of SourcePoint, what makes them so good and what makes them believers in, like, comic book talent so awesome is that we took Warpath to multiple imprints that gave us handshake deals. Like, I can give you three names, but I'm not going to because I don't want right. to burn bridges here. One of them was, I, I still think, is very shady, and I would never treat anybody like that. Right. Uh, and they were like, yeah, we really want to do this. So this story, Warpath, is about human trafficking. A guy who's a First Nation soldier gets back from Afghanistan in 2007 and finds that his sister, who's like 17, has gotten become a victim of human trafficking and the human trafficking network that exists all across this country that I've done tons of research on. And uh, we tell him this is it's about like First Nations issues, indigenous issues, and human trafficking and exploitation and all this stuff. And they're like, yeah, that's great because right now those are really hot button words. You know what I mean? Right, they're yeah, like, yeah. oh, that's in the news. That's good. We can, we can, you know, we can do something with that. And then, and then they see the book, and the book doesn't pull punches. It's very, it's, it's emotional at times, and it can be tough to read, because it's dealing with some heavy stuff. And as soon as they saw the book, they were like, oh can you just get rid of the foul language? And it's like, so hold on a second. <laughs> it's like, I, you're, I get I get what you're saying. I get that. But you're talking about, we've got characters in here that are garbage human beings that are like involved in human trafficking. And your concern is that one of them is swearing. Wow. And so I'm a lot more. That's I, like Hollywood exec yeah, type shit. <laughs> I'm a lot more diplomatic about this stuff than Kyle is. And I remember when I talked to Kyle about it, who's a fantastic collaborator, his reaction was, and he said it so poignantly. I was like, are you, did you have this written down? He goes, if they're this concerned about foul language, they're going to demand other changes later on. Oh, you don't want to deal with any of that right. stuff. Yeah. And then I was just, yeah, that's right. And so I didn't, I'd already, I was waiting for, at this point we were still waiting for Venom and Vengeance to get, to get done and I didn't want to give it to Travis and be like I've got another idea even though you haven't seen the first one yet well no see here hold yeah. on here's the thing that was smart about you to do that yeah see, as I said I came home and I'm shouting the megaphone source point source point source point people are, were getting our I'm helping them getting the foot in, in the door trying to get this source point north thing going uh, Dave you know Dave and Kevin Joseph jump on um, Morte which is such a spectacular piece of work. This Dave guy sounds like trash. He's so great. <laughs> He's so great. So we finally got this Canadian content going on, which, uh, quick side note, I still happily and proudly take part credit for, because it was <laughs> Kevin Joseph listening to an episode of An Elegant Weapon featuring D.A. Bishop that he thought to himself, I kind of like this guy. I like the cut of his jib. I'm so gonna see. <laughs> I'm going to see if I should maybe do my comic book with him. And now we have more tech. Which uh, you know, I'm very proud to have been a small, small little part of, but that kind of started getting things rolling. And me from the very beginning with Sean Daly, because Sean Daly and I came up together. No yeah. one knew who he was, no one knew who I was. We started pushing each other because we were friends. 
So we get this going. We get to this point. Source Point comes in. We've got a book, and I'm like, okay, we're getting this Source Point North thing rolling. Sean Daly's going to be the secret weapon because he's going to explode whether it's Source Point or not. Oh, he's, he's going to get there. Cartooning's amazing. And then I remember the t- the moment because you know all the chapter house started kind of quieting it down, and then Mr. Fred Kennedy comes walking up to the Source Point press table, and I was like. Here we go. Oh, God. Now we've been noticed. Now, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I just mean in the way that, like, uh, you know. That, I didn't want to harass As a viable anybody. option. Yes. No, is the fact that you looked at us and SPP as a viable option meant, okay, the foot's in the door in Canada. Canada can start considering SourcePoint as a place to go and a place to take their books, right? Well, that was. It... SourcePoint had shown their love for Canada. Yeah. In a little bit, right? Like, cause, so. cause Sean would just was was working on Ogre, and then right. um, we had a talk where he he said he goes, I don't know if I can give this book the love that it needs, and I think he expected me to be really mad. But the thing is, is I and I remember being, dude, we're all professionals. Well, here's, like this is real. This is this is how life works. I get it. This is why you had. This is again where from the beginning of our conversation comes in and makes it weird. You're just any other fucking comic book guy yeah. who comes up to talk to Travis. He's still Travis. But Travis, before meeting you, before met having met you, had heard of this guy on TV and yeah. this guy on the radio, and he. I guarantee somewhere in his head, he didn't want to make a deal just because of that for yeah. you. Oh, yeah, this guy's on TV. I'll make anything he wants. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's not that's something that Travis would not have done, right? But when we gave Warpath to Travis, we had the first issue done. See, that helps a lot. And so too, the first yeah, issue yeah. is done, and so we gave it to him, and he was like, he goes, oh, dude, I love it. He goes, okay. but I don't have room in my lineup right now. For a while, but if you want, I can have it. I'll take it, and then I'll put it out when I've got time. And then right. so when Venom and Vengeance uh, got shelved, I just told him, like, why don't you just slot Warpath into yeah. that spot, and then it's an easy shift. And he's like, done. And what's awesome is that he's been so trusting of us in terms of the issues that we're touching on and, like, not being change this change that change this he's just letting it go it's it's amazing source point has always been fearless yeah and, you know <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah it's 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 been great like and so now like seeing that book we actually just got all the contract stuff handled this week congratulations man oh, it's yeah. very very exciting because I'm, I'm stoked to see that book i and I, the reason i'm stoked to see it there is i don't think they're doing anything like that um, and it's not at all. It's, it's, I yeah. think, dude, I think I, I'm, I don't want to like fly a flag too high, but I think it's going to, I think it's going to get a little bit of noise. It's, it's, it's really good. It's good, man. And I can't wait to have a, have a gander at it. But I mean, that's, that's along the line of things that source points, but not been afraid to try like Sioux Falls. Yeah. And you know, these stories of horrible tragedy and murder or yeah. whatever have you deep issues because they started as a horror, as a mainly horror genre, you know, press outfit they were kind of able to go with that from the beginning. Yeah. Because the first books were horror books. Yeah. Right? So they had that. They didn't They didn't come out being all, oh, we're shiny, happy, family-type shit. No, no, no. You know? And now that- what Travis gets a lot is, you know, you should start a family imprint. Yeah. Because at these shows, we could. If we had, like, one kid's book, we could be moving so many well i got shows. a few ideas I got well, a few well ideas. hey you know well here's one other thing because i'm always pushing a lot because i know that travis uh he's a personal fan of andrew thomas yeah because just his hustle just his work ethic and you know of course he's talented as hell and you don't want to see andrew end up 
pushing something that may not make it all the way. I don't know what you're talking about. Do you know about. what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. But he's so talented and so giving, and, you know, we've been in touch. And, you know, that's the thing. Of all of, of certain pieces that may have fallen apart or not Listen. gotten picked up in Toronto, SourcePoint's willing to pick those up and give them to the world. Right? There's one thing about Andrew Thomas he's that amazing. I can say that I dislike. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, oh, no. One, this is the only thing. <laughs> Great guy, really good letterer. Actually, he's, yeah, he's yeah. fantastic with lettering, and he's taught me a few things when we've been sitting at the show, where I've actually pulled out my laptop with Illustrator, being like, "Okay, <laughs> show me how to do this." I really like Andrew, yeah. and I just want everybody to know this is all tongue in cheek and being yeah. facetious, but this yeah. is something that he does that drives me bananas. He'll put racks on the table, and then you can't see beside him. <laughs> like that's it. That's one thing. He'll put a rack there, and then I'm hidden by his rack, which is great. He did that once at a show, and I was like, dude, your rack is hiding me, man. I can't see it. You know what? He needs to get a spinner rack. Like my close personal friend Dave Bishop gave me a spinner rack to put on the oh, table. Oh, that's amazing. That's how you do it. That's what you, you know? want on your table is a yeah. spinner rack, buddy. You know, but all those, I don't want to see that momentum that had a chance to rise, just not, you know, because, I mean, Canada deserves, if not necessarily its own specific thing, at least SourcePoint is looking at it as a place where, you know, there's an incredible amount of viable talent. Like, certain other companies will come through. Like, Action Lab is pretty, you know, they're pretty good about doing the shows, and, you know, they're up here. They're, they're Not that they have a lot of Canadian, no, you know, they're, content they're or very, anything. No, they're very different yeah, um, yeah. in the sense, like, our dealings with Action Lab that I had had, because we, Teuton almost landed at Action Lab. Oh, we, yeah? We gave them that to them at C2E2 a few years ago, and then they were very much like, you know what, we really want Westerns. Is what we're really looking for right now. Like, West, I, I, yeah, I know. Which is awesome. I love Westerns, too. I do, too. But, but I can tell you this. I, there is, There are rumblings of another Canadian imprint coming along. and I and Really? I, yeah. And this is all just stuff that I've heard. Uh, of, I can't say any. I can't name I any I understand. Names. I yeah, understand. But, but there, is, uh, there, there is talk of a few people that are bigger names and bigger creators in Canada getting together and... and they took note from like TKO and looking at something similar to what they did, right? Launching their own imprint, and the people that I know who are involved, they're also very cynical and and uh, frank right. people. So right. I don't think that you can worry about them going awry. Well, you there's know? a lot of relationships being built right now um, from this cross-border action that we've got going. That is awesome because, uh, like, and you know, there there's. This has only just been, I'm okay to say this because it's not like a deal or anything like that, but even to the point where, source point, we've had conversations with Raid, mm -hmm. right? Where there's a relationship building there, whether something actually happens or not, and there's nothing happening right now. I'm just saying we're getting to know each other. I've introduced, people have talked, and there's been ideas, you know? People will occasionally be like, you know, what, I'm, you know, because Raid, I'm sure, would love to start putting out some of their own books. Yeah, uh, you know, and you well, know, they're doing that now. They're doing the Raid Studio collection, right? And there's year. certain outfits that could distribute these things in the states very easily. Do you know what I mean? Oh, so, so oh. there's there's these kind of talks and things, and that's why I'm saying nothing's happening. I'm just saying it's great that we're that this environment now exists where all this fun stuff can start to happen. Yeah. There can be unifications. There can be people helping to hold each other up. And SourcePoint coming here and picking up Canadian content is the most important thing. Not just SourcePoint moving into Toronto and selling their books, but supporting Toronto itself as yeah. a community. Their creators, your books, Sean Daly's books, like Dave's books. like That's the important thing. Not just moving in here for that bank, but moving in here to help this grow and maybe, you know, be an actual source point North 
type thing one day. Absolutely. Right? Man. That'd be amazing. Which to is see. it's that's why it's really exciting to have you coming along with the book and stuff. Oh man. You know? I'm stoked to see that book land. Uh I, I would like to. Is this the first the world is hearing about it at all? Are we? Uh, yeah, should we be well, treating this like official announcement? You know, this is, this is Fred Kennedy. Announcement. Well, we just did. We just signed the paperwork uh, yeah, this said, week. Yeah, just like this week, right? Yeah, it was yeah, this yeah, week. Yeah. We signed all the paperwork. Like, well, I hope this is okay with you, big guy, because Travis, we're telling the world yeah, about it. <laughs> yeah, like the thing that was good that everybody I've talked to about them in particular is like, well. They're not going to do a handshake deal and walk away. No. That's not their. That's not no. their mantra because they're they're all in the trenches with us, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's got me pretty stoked about it, uh, and I just can't wait for everybody to see like because it's really like a sounds heavy, man. I'm looking forward. It's to pretty it. heavy, like quite dude. A read. It's the and what was cool is because because Kyle is is Cree. He's Treaty Six, and he. I think that I'm a pretty like you know like a woke dude like i'm aware of these issues like my wife is status and and talking to her dad about stories about residential schools and all that stuff and Uh i'm aware of a lot of these issues and the story takes place in edmonton during the oil boom of the summer of 2007 which was an as a really oh it's that late in time yeah it's 2007 eh? yeah okay and so that the thing was is that oil was crazy at that time money was everywhere right and gangs from Toronto were moving into Edmonton, and there was a massive, massive gang war that was going on in Edmonton. It was like this, like the Summer of Blood or something like that. Really? I, forget, I forget the term. This was, it was just being in used. 07? Too? Yeah, and what was there's like, I, I the more research I did about it is the human trafficking component and the drug component. Because these criminal syndicates, there's like a tr- there's a human trafficking network all across the country. I don't know if anybody realizes how prolific human trafficking in Canada really is. Um, but I did a bunch of interviews with uh, psychologists that were involved in deprogramming these girls that get involved in human trafficking. Oh, wow. And then I interviewed police officers that are involved in human trafficking. And our main character is uh, a, a JTF soldier who gets back, like Canadian Special Forces who gets back from Afghanistan. And... The, Dude, the things that these guys have, heavy have layers yeah yeah upon heavy layers and so <laughs> the premise is this guy uh Joshua Wandering Spirit who is taken away from his mother and put in a residential group home as a child uh and while there was physically and sexually abused cuz that again is is rampant in the group home system um and then he has this like resentment for his mother because uh, because he's there because he was taken away it's her fault that he's there so he has this like this hatred of himself, you know what I mean? This right. hatred of his identity, this hatred of his heritage, uh, because his heritage and his family and all these things that he associates with that is what have put him in this position. Like, that's where he is, and he hates everybody because of it. And so he finds an escape. He runs away, and he joins the military. And to him, he feels like, as, as this young dude, I'm going to go kick some ass, you know? But in reality, he's hiding from himself. And... He is in Afghanistan, and he wants nothing to do with his family. And he gets back from Afghanistan. He finds out that his younger sister, uh, Karen, has succumbed to this horrific world of human trafficking. And then he's got all this guilt uh, that he's dealing with from being there. Um, because, and think, okay, you can find stories about this online and this is some pretty some pretty gritty stuff 
there's a lot of sex slavery in Afghanistan. And uh, you find these stories about these boys, particularly in rural areas, that they'll paint their face yellow and then they'll like they'll things will happen. And these soldiers see this happening, but they're not allowed to get involved and they're not allowed to do anything about it. Uh, for diplomatic reasons. And and anybody that's listened to this and thinks that I'm making this up, just do some research on right, it. Like, right. do some reading. There's a right. term, I think it's like Batu something, and it's like, the term is like dancing boys. Do a search for dancing boys, Afghanistan, and you'll find some stuff that will make your skin crawl. Mm. And the so you've got this guy who has dealt with all this stuff in a group home in Alberta. And then he's over there, and he sees this stuff happening, and there's nothing he can do about it. And then he comes back, and he finds out that his younger sister, who he's ignored, has now become a victim of human trafficking. And he's ostensibly aware of what that entails. And so all of this guilt that he's dealing with for not doing anything over there, and this hatred, and just there's so much tension and emotion and frustration on his part that he feels like compelled to do something. And he has this like very... like prototypical dude i'm gonna get involved i'm gonna go right. i'm gonna fight all these guys yeah and it's that that primal dude reaction of i'm gonna solve this problem with my fists i'm gonna solve with my fists yeah but in the end and he like he finds out that his one of his cousins is also on the street so he goes and he finds her and there's like a one of the, like, the thugs kind of like you know what are you doing talking to this girl? He's like, I'm going to fight this guy. I'm going to fight this guy. My cousin's going to be protected. I'm going to solve all the problems. <laughs> and then his cousin. So and it, oh, dude. And the thing is, is all this yeah. takes place. And that's the best part about working with Kyle is because we're putting it in all these places where these things happen. Yeah. And yeah. we know that they happen there because right. I grew up in the Northeast side. I know all these places. Yeah. And the. So, like, his cousin's like, you just made more problems for me. You have no idea. Like, you think you're solving this. You're making it worse for me. Right. And so, it's like this, what do you do to solve this problem, you know? Yeah. And it becomes this battle internally with this guy who's resented his heritage. But what he thinks is his heritage is not it. Because if you've looked into it, any of the ways that the First Nations communities in the prairies have been victimized and have been treated, it's just it's it's just layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of of violence and oppression and discrimination and stereotyping and it's really, really dark stuff. Right. And so his impression of what his heritage is and his identity as this First Nations guy is is so vastly different from what it really is. And in the process of me writing it, I was learning things about my own. Right. Like yeah, my own, discrim- yeah. like my yeah. own, like subconscious, like, like you've been raised to think yes, a certain way. I have been yeah. raised to think a certain way. Yeah. And what's working with Kyle is, is, is he's been very good to be like what you're doing there. No, don't do that. And then I'm like, why? And he's like, because of this. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Because you don't see it. I don't know. I didn't see it. Right, and right. I didn't see it like that. And so yeah. writing Thank the God story, you've got someone you can yes, trust who's that close to it. Who has been, to straighten yeah, you out. yeah. And has been like teaching me and I've been learning. It's been a learning experience for me. It's be a too. very difficult story to do without him or yes, that point of view. Absolutely. Right? And, like, and yeah. there'd be, 
it'd be like trying to ride a bike with one wheel. Right. It wouldn't have yeah. worked. Yeah. Without Kyle, that story just would not have worked, period, end of story. It's yeah. that simple. You might as well be writing a story from the perspective of a black lesbian from the 60s. Yeah, I'm not something. a black lesbian <laughs> yeah, from the 60s. Yeah, so yeah. working with Kyle has been very uh, That's awesome. therapeutic. It's been yeah. awesome. And I'm really excited for people to see it because we, we tackle some really some really dark stuff in the story. And the thing is, is it's real world stuff. Yeah, yeah. These are things that are really happening in the world right now that 2007 they were still happening and they're still happening today. I'm very excited to uh, see the ups and downs of when it comes out eventually because there will be some interesting things. The fact that this book will be widely distributed in the States. Yeah. Right? Uh, And it's it's a Canadian story. Yeah. Happening in Canada, widely distributed in the States, which admittedly will make it a bit of a tough sell. Yeah. At shows, probably. Yeah. I think, like, you know what? Like, I think the thing is, is I think anybody like uh, Montana, North Dakota, all these places, they'll get it. Okay. I think they'll, like, I think it's a prairie story. It's a story about the prairies. Right. You know, it's a prairie story. Uh, It's cool for you to get it out there. Yeah. And it's cool to get it out there because we were, like, Kurt Pierce does weird for Dark Horse and he's yeah. been a big supporter of this book and like was really encouraging to us of like keep it going don't give up on it it's good like it's really good right, he right. was like he was very much like he was you need to he was your concern might be you might need to change the name of the city or the street names to make it more you know open-minded to people down in the states and i was like i don't want to do that no like, it's, it makes it's, me i i would initially i mean not that it has anything to do with me but i kind of hope that you stick with we, with edmonton we did, and, and that's the and, thing yeah. was we that never even was brought up right it shouldn't be it was never even you brought know? up yeah it's great yeah, yeah. and like, it's you know we even found the official city of edmonton font to use on there's the, an official like, font yes because edmonton <laughs> has these signs when you're coming into the city this is edmonton the city of champions and there's a specific is, font it, an, is it the oilers font no, <laughs> no 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 but we use that official font in the story like for the signs of the city and the streets like all the streets where these things are happening that's real, you know. Right on. It's laid right. out like specific restaurants. There was, there was like one scene was supposed to happen in one restaurant, and then Kyle was like, "No, that wouldn't work. He's not the kind of guy that would go there." I'm like, "You know, you're right. He wasn't the kind of guy that would go there." Put See, you know place. the restaurants yeah. because they're real places. So intimately, you can mm. tell if their character would even bother going or there. Or and not. we that's like, that's fucking awesome. The, like the research <laughs> with like the, the soldiers. Yeah. Like the the the. The, the dancing boy thing specifically wasn't something that I was even aware of. Right. And, until it was brought up by a soldier with an interview that I did. And I interviewed this guy, and then he brought it up in passing. He, he said, and then there's those boys with the yellow, the yellow face paint. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. And he's like, well, this is what that means. And then at first, because when he first said it, my reaction was, no, it's too out there. It's too, that's got to be just like soldier talk. And then I, in person, intentionally included that question in the next interview with the next soldier and immediately he just started talking about it and then the next soldier yeah. he just started talking soldier There's, talk to us yes. that doesn't seem real yes it's yeah it's and there was so much real. of it yeah. there's so much of it and like uh, like do some research like afghanistan dancing boys just do some just yeah, do some reading right and the thing is is that this is a thing that has been talked about but isn't talked about and for this guy in particular this joshua guy who was was is dealt with this type of abuse himself 
for being in a position where he had to endure it and now is in a position where he has to watch it and can't do anything about it. Oh. It's like yeah. on top of Tension. all the other things that are going on over there. Uh, it's just, it's like the uh, Jimmy Palmiotti, like I remember him saying, right like, he's like saying, you want to be the worst thing that can happen to your characters. Like, you've okay. got to be the worst thing that they could ever want. He goes, you give them nothing but the worst. You wring every ounce of tension <laughs> out of them that you can yeah. get. Yeah. And, like, this character, Joshua Wandering Spirit, is, like, the most... He's so... Like, he could be an action hero, but he's so sympathetic because you just feel so bad for him. But he's not the best guy, but he's... Ah, oh, it's just... He's such a complicated character. I've never written anything like this before. Well, dude, it was really this sounds, tough to do. This sounds deep. Yeah. It sounds layered. Oh, yeah. It sounds yeah. intense. It sounds mature. It I sounds like all those kind of words I could come up with. I was with getting, right I was sending parts of the script to these soldier guys to be like, when I'm saying this, would it say, would it sound like that? Like the dialogue, does this work? Like, no, no one talks like that. That's how they talk in movies. Right. Because this is how they talk. And I learned about how, uh, in when a lot of times when they're in, combat situation they don't use their names they just use colors so if you're on pink team you're pink one you're pink two you're pink three okay oh, we're green one we're green two we're green three right. and so like they have all their little names and it's color and a number color and a number color and a number and that's how they divide themselves all up and the opening of the book involves this scene where they're like in this uh it was actually in a bazaar and it was a true story these guys had and they had, these guys had set up uh uh rocket propel grenade launcher in a bazaar in a position where they could shoot over the wall of the U.S. ambassador's like, oh. compound into the residence. And so they were in the top floor of this bazaar and they had the rocket propel grenade and it was... Because you've got the JTF, the Joint Task Force guys, these are the Canadian okay. Special Forces. They're there to train the locals and so they've got local soldiers that are with them. And so they're in command of the units, but they've got to do it with the locals to teach them. This is how you cordon this off. Right. And so I read this. There's like a Canadian military journal that's published. And it was like a 10 page article about these four units that are trying to take down this one rocket propel grenade position and how these guys are fighting tooth and nail every floor, every level, every turn just so that they can get one shot into the U.S. console. It's like it's yeah, and yeah. like if you've seen um, what's that movie, the Michael Bay movie, Zero Dark Thirty, not that one, the one Thirteen Hours in Benghazi, Thirteen is okay. it Eleven Hours in Benghazi, Twelve, uh, whatever it is. Yeah. Like that movie is just unbelievably amazing and like similar to the tone of this book when it opens. Um, until the very last line when they're like, yeah, it was great to fight next to you. He was a real American. And like, if you, like, if you stop, I'm telling you, 13 Take Hours right of Benghazi, yeah. if you pause it when there's four minutes left, great movie. Right. Just great movie. Okay? I hate when, you know, when stories like that yes. happen, man. See, the, uh, the Wolverine, right? Yeah. The, that movie, first two thirds, greatest comic book movie ever made. But you get up to the point where he's at night and Wolverine's running through the village, the Japanese village in the snow, yeah. and there's arrows and spears. He's got arrows and spears all through him, and he's like, brah, you got a choice at that moment. 
Either he goes true berserker, kills a thousand ninjas, <laughs> movies over, and it's the greatest comic book movie ever made, or you have Wolverine pass out from the arrows and go fight a giant cartoon samurai. Well, you know, that's a tough call to make. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't been in a situation where I could make that. You know? But I'm really, really proud of Source Point for uh, going all in on this, man. Because yeah. it's not just you. It's it's a it's a Canadian history book. It's, yeah, it's, it's, you know, maybe fairly recent history, yeah. but this well, is something important. This is an issue that needs to be discussed. You're going at it in a very cerebral way, yeah. a heavy, honest way. Yep. And and that's the way Source Point likes to go about things. And the same thing with Morte. Like, uh, by the way, Fred and I are enjoying this lovely afternoon at Mr. D.A. Bishop's house. Who got me a cup of coffee, by the way. Yeah, While I was on the air, no one even noticed. So great. I took his cherry tree down for him <laughs> tonight. And uh, Morte, another book that a one-shot, but a, a bit of a risk, you know, a, an emotional story. Well, Dave, no, just give us your two cents quick on your experience with, with SourcePoint, you know? Because I'm sure you're one of the people that Fred talked to about how's it working with source point yeah um yeah. well i mean we, he, he did ask and sorry you caught me off guard here That's all right. um <laughs> you know i've had i've had nothing but good experience with experiences with them yeah and uh when kevin joseph first said to me you know because when we did mortar we had no no idea where we where we were going to go with it what we were going to do um, but we just wanted to make the story. Um, so we made the story and then Kevin just said, okay, you know, there's a couple places I want to try. So, you know, we'll try them and we'll see if we get a few bites. And, uh, source point was the one that unequivocally said, yes, we're going to make this jump. We believe in this book and, uh, let's it's make it easy. Let's just make it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's it's just been really great. It's been, it's got to feel experience. awesome though, and too. Like, that's why I like the source points willing to make this cross-border action happen because yeah. your book isn't just a Canadian book that was made in Canada and gotten yeah. into the hands of many Canadians. Yeah. It's been spread across America. Yeah. Like, there's yeah. people in every state like who own a, a copy of Morte. Like a plague, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's a wonderful... Because Morte is such a beautiful book. It really is. I, I, it's, I it's still get emotional stunning. when I read it. And Absolutely. I, I worked on it. Yeah, you know? every time. You um, know? But I think it's a testament to Source Point Press that they take a look at the story. Yeah. And they'll say, you know, this story is worth investing some time in. You know and, what I mean? Yeah, and and yeah. the thing about them is it's also it's it's a family. It is a family. As you know cheesy I mean? as that always sounds, it's a family. And like that, that's really important genuine in anything care. you do. Yeah. You know, whether when you get involved with a group of people, uh it's important to feel like you belong there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether, you know, it's comics or the gym or whatever. Right, right. You know right. what I mean? You're, you want to be surrounded with like-minded people. Right. And I think that's pretty much Source Point Press in a nutshell. Beautiful. You know? Beautiful words, Dave. Thank you. <laughs> All right, here we go. Pass that over to Fred. All right, so Warpath, soon to come from Source Point Press. You can also... Uh, Actually, I don't think you can find The Fourth Planet anywhere. Can you read it anywhere, or is it available it's online on digitally? It's on Comixology. It is? Okay. It's well, on Comixology. People should definitely check it out. So uh, I think we have been thoroughly clear, after waiting as long as we have, that we've had Mr. Kennedy on the show, and we have discussed comic books. Because he wants to make comics. Yes. So you people need to read his comics. Yes. But now that we've had this fun, which I believe to have been a genuine, honest conversation that I have thoroughly enjoyed personally, Yes. Uh, we got to hit kind of kind of the hits 
Okay. Okay. Now, uh, first thing I want to ask you is, how are your feelings on the state of Star Wars today, Fred Kennedy? Uh, um, I love Star Wars a great deal. Hear how I careful was, he's been. I got to go to <laughs> Galaxy's Edge. What the th- fuck? Thanks to Disney. What the fuck? A week before it opened. Ah. Uh, yeah, and... <laughs> When well, George, the grand opening, when George Lucas walked on stage and he said, um, "Together, we're gonna go to a galaxy far, far away," I broke. I started crying, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and uh, then Harrison Ford, like, because they Luke Skywalker comes on, Lando Calrissian comes on, and. Uh, they try and launch the, the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> Sparks shoot out of the bottom, <laughs> yeah, and they're like, yeah. "Oh, who do we know that can get this thing <laughs> off the ground?" Harrison Ford comes onto the stage, and then he goes, "This one's for you, Peter." And he punches it. And at this point, I'm crying. Like I'm, yeah. ug- I'm ugly crying at this point. Like it's, <laughs> and I think that if you had asked me before uh, that happened. I would have given some some gripes and and there's some things that I take umbrage with with the last Jedi and with uh, the force awakens um, but after going there and seeing that when I think about the new Star Wars movies it doesn't matter what I think about it right. there's a lot of things I love the I will say this I love the ship designs in the new movies. Oh, I yeah? adore them okay. so much. Uh, I think Ray as a character has so much potential. I think that I would like to see her go through more growth as a character in the sense of like uh, when Luke Skywalker first sees Darth Vader, he's so it was Darth Vader so omni omnipowerful and like yeah. unstoppable that Luke has to run away the second time he sees him, he gets the crap beat out of him. And I think a lot of times people have this statement about Rey as a character where they're like, she's got too much plot armor. She's this. She's that. And here's the thing that I've come to realize. Rey's not the problem with that franchise. It's no. Kylo Ren is the problem with that franchise. He looks so cool. And the first time we see him, he stops a laser beam in midair. Yeah, yeah. And he interrogates a guy. And he kills another guy. And he walks away and a laser beam goes through. A, a hero's only as good as their villain. Yeah. And I think the problems with those movies is the is the villains. Right. Like, Darth Vader is, it's like, when I think of great villains, Biff Tannen from Back to the Future is one of the greatest villains <laughs> yeah. ever made. Yeah. Um, Darth Vader is, like, the stuff of nightmares. The Emperor is, like, stuff of adult nightmares. Yeah, yeah. I feel that the problems with the new Star Wars movies is there's no good villain uh, that we've seen. Right, you know? Right. And maybe that's a statement of the real villain. How much are you into the us? offshoots? Are you a pure movie guy, or have you read oh, the I old think, comics, re- oh, dude, novels, the, anything? The, the Darth Vader comic series is it's brilliant, it's just right? incredible. Okay, yeah, like, it's yeah. it's so good. It's like, so good. <laughs> when, yeah. when Darth Vader when it shows him trying to fight that one Jedi Master who, like, throws him off the side yeah. of the cliff, and he's like, yeah. you're to get his lightsaber, and Darth he's like, you're too weak, you're nothing. And then you, like, you see Darth Vader have to go Darth Vader. It's like, yeah. he can't, like, he's putting these positions where he can't win unless he embraces who he is the dark side and how powerful he is and yeah and like just like the comics are so good like they're so good see i i've been reading the novels for years yeah i I came into star wars like i saw jedi when i was like six and kind of like star wars like everybody else i had an x-wing and a in a speeder bike but other than that i wasn't a big star wars kid 
Then I got into the novels when they started coming out, the new Jedi Order series oh, and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, The X-Wing novels. Oh, my yeah, guys, yeah. I got crazy hooked, right? So I'm a huge EU guy. So after collecting comics for 20 years, having all the Dark Horse, I got six long boxes. Did you have the role-playing game, Dark too? Room. I had, yeah. I, got, <laughs> yeah, I have yeah. electronic battleship, yeah. uh, all of that stuff. Um, and then, of course, they change everything and all that stuff's out the window. And I was a little worried because they said, oh, we are going to cherry-pick the EU for yeah, what we yeah. need. Grand Admiral Thrawn showing I up thought, in Rebels. Well, and... I thought they were just placating us. Yeah. I thought they were like, we'll throw a few Easter eggs in, having yeah. no idea how far they'd actually go yeah. bringing Thrawn back. Clone Wars, brilliant. Resistance, uh, you know, Rebels, like great stuff. Dave Filoni's the man. Oh dude, yeah, right. Clone so, Wars is Clone Wars, yeah. and even the the Gendy Tartaskovsky. Um, oh, those! Name. I can't believe they're not canon. They're so good. They are. They are so good. Stunningly brilliant. The yeah. when you see Anakin Skywalker fight Asajj Ventress on Yavin Four. Yeah. And he has. That's when he succumbs to the power of the dark side for the first time. And yeah. He, and he needs the dark side to take her out. Yeah. That scene when he's like he's hitting her with the lightsaber and it flashes and you heavy see and heavy, you yeah. see Qui Gon Jinn and you see Yoda yeah. and you see Obi Wan and then it like he kills her yeah. and he throws her over the cliff and then it goes to Yoda and it's just like they've just won but Yoda's like we just lost like yeah. we just lost and he knows because he's so yeah. in tune with the Force. Yeah. Oh my God. See. It's so good. Yeah. See? They gotta take it away from that Kennedy lady and give it to Filoni. No, you leave. Kathleen Kennedy alone. Oh, come on. Okay, Rogue come One. On. Rogue One. Brilliant. Oh, my God. Loved it. Loved she it. was involved in that, too. Yeah, and but just because she's involved in something doesn't mean she really had that much. To do. I think I, she's gotten a little too involved in certain things. Okay, listen, I'm sorry. <laughs> Whoever let Ryan Johnson go as far as he did was not controlling things. I, they yeah. let him go too far. I Yeah, okay? I... We spend 30 years waiting for this guy who stood against the Emperor, an 18-year-old kid who was able to throw down his lightsaber and say, no, yeah. I will not kill my father to the Emperor's face. You're telling yeah. me he's going to become a wise old Jedi Master who freaks so hard the fuck out at a 15-year-old punk that he actually lights the lightsaber? I can get behind you his feelings. Yeah. I can get behind him being worried about Kylo, being scared about Kylo, but going as far to the extent at that moment that he actually lights the lightsaber remember how they showed it from different point of views yeah when the Roshan idea yeah like when you see Kylo's point of view Luke looks evil and mean and when you see Luke's point of view he's all like oh no don't cut don't Ben so you get the different point of views but every one of those point of views he's includes the him lighting the lightsaber yeah, yeah. Oh, my heart broke into but a maybe, million fucking pieces. Maybe. I remember when Luke Skywalker walked on lava to convince Gantoris to come join his academy. Yeah. And that's the Luke you're going to give me? But Sorry. maybe, maybe oh. he succumbed to his fear and the dark side. No. I, <laughs> no, dude, no, no, no. Hey, here's the thing. Here, like, and I get, I get what you're saying, with, and, and I love that. But I'm just too, I'm too, like fluffy about star wars right now you're catching me at the wrong time man i just i had i just had this magical star wars experience know, like a well, week ago and did you build the lightsaber i didn't build a lightsaber i built a droid though and okay and, but the thing is is like for all those movies flaws and whatever we want to say uh, my kids love them and seeing them love star wars is good enough for well, me well you're talking to a prequel apologist I love the prequels. Okay. I love them to death. You know how much shit I take for I'm, that, but I love them. I apologize for all of it. You like, know? I, yeah, I'm just yeah. too yeah. I'm too lovey dovey and fluffy about Star Wars at the moment. Right, right. Well, like, I, I totally nothing... understand. After that experience I would probably yeah, feel like, the same and then, way. 
we got to I've got videos on my phone of when we got to walk onto the Millennium Falcon. Oh god. How big is the whole galaxy's edge? Cuz what we've seen on video, it just kind of looks like that big courtyard with the no, Falcon. No. There's a little more to it. That's what they're focusing on because that's where the Falcon is, but there's also an X-wing squadron. There's also some A-wings. There's also Oh. Uh, they're not showing us everything there. There's a Tie Fighter docking bay. There's a market. There's a restaurant. There's a cantina that's got TVs that are broadcasting pod races from various okay. places around the galaxy with yeah. Greg Proops doing the play-by-play. Really? Yeah, awesome. And then you can. There's a cantina <laughs> band in there playing. That's and great. And you see it all. I love that the lightsabers has got to be secret. You yeah, gotta like go you, ask for a card. They give you a little card because you're not supposed. Jedi's are illegal at that time. Right? You can go yeah. to uh, <laughs> the Doc Odnar's like historic emporium and you can buy <laughs> lightsabers there and they've also got a stuffed wampa like a full-size stuffed wampa uh there's also some easter eggs in there the ark of the covenant is in there too really yeah <laughs> there's some re- there's the thing uh, is is everywhere you go in there there's little easter eggs and and it's huge and it's really immersive because the you're always in a valley you're in between two buildings or you're behind something and like okay, you're yeah. always immersed you right know? and so there's sounds going and so you're walking here and there's the speeder bay there's like a speeder garage and they're working on a speeder an x-34 speeder like luke skywalker right. is. there's a t-38 there as well and there's they're working on these things and then you can hear speeders taking off taking off from behind the building That's cool, you can hear two mechanics man. yelling at each other yeah in back in the background yeah. and then when you're over where the resistance area which is more wooded and stuff you can hear something tromping through the woods but oh, you can't see it right. and then around the corner there's something going on there and and then there's like there's like sounds of ships taking off and like it's so loud. Right. You're there. Yeah. And then you hear like a fighter go overhead and you like you look up instinctively. You just look up, but it's already gone. Right. And it's like I talked to one of the sound guys that was there and he said, you're always listening to a minimum of 50 tracks of audio no matter where you are in the park. Wow. It's it's and it's hardcore. It's so well done, dude. And it's like. You you go in the Millennium Falcon like you go in it right yeah. you're in it you fly it yeah, yeah there's yeah. the Dejaric board right there that's cool with the, the 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 can you hide under the plates under the floor yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah you can there's one of the tunnels <laughs> where you go around you can go in and you can look up to the gun ports can you get into sides. the gun pit no you can't oh. because the there's the gravitational shift in the gun pit right oh so you can't get in there um but as you walk past to go to the cockpit where that is. There's the uh, the whatchamacallit, the the little like engineering hub. Right. Where Princess Leia yeah. smooches Han. <laughs> Dude, I'm all I'm all I'm all amped up oh, on it. Like yeah, I I won't cool, I got nothing bad to say about Star Wars. Okay, I got nothing I bad to say about You're it. You're in a moment. I, I'm in a moment. we'll get together and yeah. we'll do like a full Star Wars podcast. Give me we'll your get, get we'll me get drunk and get me back. Nice. Dude, we'll get all into it. Like I've got like Dude, I have Star Wars stories that if they gave me the hands, I, I could tell. I, got, I could write my own Star Wars stories. I'm all geared up, ready to go. Oh, dude, I got so much Star Wars fan fiction yeah. in my head. It's crazy. So, uh, okay, um, most nervous you've ever been in an interview, and who was it? Um, probably Brian Azzarello, because I got lots of respect for the guy, and I could tell that he didn't want to be doing okay, it. Okay, I, yeah. I, I thank you for atoning to this being a comic book podcast, but give us some media dirt for Oh, uh, like on the celebrities? Radio, yeah, like on the radio-wise... Who's the most ridiculous celebrity that like made you nervous? Because you over, don't seem to get nervous much. Over the top bit. You know what the thing is? Is that the key whenever you're like, okay. Um, Josh Homme from Queens of the Stone Age. Oh, okay. 
very nervous about interviewing that guy. He was the coolest dude ever. Right. And he actually gave me some great advice about what to do when you're nervous. Because on the last Queen's album, he did a track with Elton John, who was his favorite musician of all time. And I said, so, like, because I'm, like, looking for advice from me. I'm like, what do you do when you're nervous? Right. And he's like, man, when you're, because he's the coolest guy I've ever met. He's the coolest guy. <laughs> he goes, man, when you're nervous, just go slow. And I'm like, all right, go Makes slow. Sense. So just slow it down. Yeah. Because you'll screw up when you try and go fast. Yeah. So Josh oh, yeah. Homme got pretty nervous around. Um, Jerry Cantrell from right. Alice in Chains was someone oh, that made geez. me pretty nervous. Um, interviewing U2 was pretty nerve Oh, my nerve- God. You nerve- did wracking. U2? That's yeah. got to be crazy. That was pretty nerve-wracking. But the thing with those guys is, for the most part, you get nervous around huge superstars and these huge superstars at least for people of our generation came up in a time when you needed to play media properly so guys like that you just give them a question and even if it's not the question they want they'll find a way to give you the answer they want to give right right. William Shatner is like that okay William Shatner is so obvious about it you'll be like so uh, your book tour is going really well Yes, the book tour is going well, and I think what you're really wondering about is what are people <laughs> saying about the book? He'll ask the question that he wants to himself, and you're That's like, awesome. William Shatner's the easiest That's interview brilliant. you could ever do. Right, He's right. the easiest. Henry Rollins was was nerve-wracking for me because I'm such a huge Henry Personally. Rollins fan, yeah. and I had done two interviews with Henry Rollins before that had imploded catastrophically. Oh, really? That were terrible. They were so bad. Like oh, no. The audio I got was bad, and he wasn't being mean in any of them. Right. He was super pro. And then so I got to interview him a little while ago, and I've, I, I had a period of time where I had a boss that we didn't really get along well, and I was getting a lot of anxiety. I couldn't sleep. And, and I started going to the gym a lot. And I go into the gym because it, like, it turned down the volume on the world, and it like made it so I was less stressed, less anxious, easier going. And then... Henry Rollins is a huge gym rat. He yeah. goes to the gym and he always talks about he's got a psychological need. And I, for the first time in my life, I'm like, I get that. Right. And so when I interviewed him, we started talking about that. And us talking about the gym and working out and exercise led into us talking about like CBD supplements to go to sleep. And then talking about music that you listen to when you work out. What do you like to do in the gym now that you didn't like to do then? It went natural. And, all, and it yeah. just was, and it became... Not even an interview. It was me, like just talking to him. Isn't it Rollins awesome when that out. happens? See, I find the same thing. I, I, I've always been lucky that uh, I don't have a big part of the nervous gene. No, dude. like that's why put me on stage in front of a thousand people. I'm as comfortable as when I'm alone. Yeah. But if it's personal, it's easier. If it's to... someone I look up to, like I'll give you an example. The the two most nervous interviews I ever did on my show were John Ostrander. Uh, writer, original Suicide Squad yeah. creator, and Martian Manhunter. I'm just an epic fan. He wrote Star Wars comics for years, and I just—he's my he- writing hero. So I met John Ostrander. I got nervous as fuck, and then I had him on the show and got nervous again. And the other time was Rob Paulson. I met Rob Paulson, uh, you know, Yakko and Pinky at Denver Comic Con, and I'm talking to him, and he's such a hero of mine. Just not just his career, but the pod he does and everything. And my leg starts going. 
Yeah. And my legs going. And he comes around for some pictures and stuff. And uh, we'd already interacted online a bit, so he had an idea of who I was. So I was trying to get him and Ralph Garman together for years. And uh, I was like... I'm so sorry, Rob. I'm so nervous. And he just laughs and he gives me a big hug. And he hugs me. He goes, don't be nervous. Yeah. And, then, and then he puts his arm just around go me. slow, We're man. We're taking the picture. And he goes, it's like, your leg all right? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm sorry. He's like, it's okay. And yeah, I slowed it right down. Slow down. But yeah, those two times, it was because it was personal. I personally yeah, looked up to these people. Like, way harder. Yeah. Like Weird Al Yankovic was like a huge deal for me personally. Right. Like and when I was doing the interview, I knew that a lot of my listeners at the time probably didn't care or have as much invested in Weird Al Yankovic as I did. Right. But no, that was the real deal, man. And yeah. Weird Al is the chillest, smartest <laughs> dude. He was yeah. so cool. It's it's great when uh just when I did Philly, so uh Alice Cooper which was amazing. Does this guy know how to party or he what? He is the nicest, most chill yeah. guy I've ever but met. I wasn't guys, nervous at all. And they, all he wanted to talk about was golf. They came out at that time <laughs> where you needed to play the media right. And they right. know how to handle themselves yeah. in front of the media. And yeah. they're like Nick and, Frost. Yeah. Same thing. So yeah. chilled, man. Super chill. Yeah. Like Nick Frost, Simon Pegg. That'd be a yeah. dope interview. Yeah. yeah. That was a dope time, man. Yeah. But uh uh, an hour and a half, I think we have made up for. We talked eight for an hour and a half. It's been an hour and a half. Jeez, that's one thirty-three, man. Oh my god, that's how we roll. Thank you, brother. The, thank you. This was awesome. Awesome. And, uh, I hope to do it many more times in the future. We Anytime. got a lot more wars to talk, man. Yeah, awesome. Solid, brother. Fred Kennedy, look out for Warpath coming to you from Source Point Press. Kids, that is all we are going to have this week on an elegant weapon. Take it easy.